And this summer I did a series on biblical prayers and learning God's priorities for our praying. And you say, well, how would we know what God's priorities for our praying are? And the short answer is by looking at the prayers that he has given us in the scripture. And so we spent some time this summer doing that, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus is the prayer that he taught us to pray, but also looking at Paul as he is taught by Jesus to pray and as he writes to these churches to teach them how he prays and how he prays for them. And so it informs us, it instructs us on our praying. What, what should we be praying? How should we be praying? What kind of things should we be praying for? I had skipped this prayer this summer because I knew I would be getting to it here in, uh, in good order. And so uh, as we turn to this passage, we, we want to learn, we want to open ourselves up to new ways of praying for ourselves and for others, to learn from the text in this way. You know, a number of years ago, as churches uh, were doing ministry and all the things that we do, you know, in the life of the church and our Sunday school and our worship and our small groups and the different things that we do in, in the life of the church, and what they were discovering, churches, as they were looking at all the stuff they were doing, all the programs that they were doing, and they were finding that a lot of times the people in the pew, uh, the church was not always developing what they would say developing disciples. Um, now, what is a disciple? It's simply the Bible word, as you know. Jesus used that word all the time. He talked about my disciples. And it's a Bible word that simply means those who follow Jesus. So his disciples were those who would follow him. And as a disciple, to follow Jesus meant to listen to what he taught, to learn what he was teaching you, and then to seek to obey it or to live it out in your life. That is simply what it means to follow Jesus or to be a disciple to learn the things that he is teaching us through his word, through the scripture, and to seek to obey it, to live it, to conform our lives to it, and to follow Jesus. The problem with the church is that we're often not producing people who are living those kind of lives. We do a lot of stuff, and we're learning a lot of information. We, we spend a lot of time doing a lot of things. But, but at the heart of church is not all the programs that we do, and at the heart of the church is not all the things that keep us busy. At the heart of the church is, is God's people, is you. And at the heart of you is who you are in the life that you live as a follower of Christ. That's the church. I mean, that's the core of it. Everything else flows out of that. And where there is that going on in the innermost places of who we are, producing people who are followers of Christ, learning what he said, learning the scripture, wanting to know what it is, and then seeking to do it, to live it, to live it out. But unfortunately, oftentimes, things that we're doing is not accomplishing all of this in the lives of God's people. Our faith is not deeply shaping our character as often as we wanted to. It's not changing us as often as we wanted to. We got heads full of information, but we're not seeing the transformation of life that, that marks a follower of Jesus who is being shaped by the things that he's learning. It's not impacting necessarily our giving or the way we use our time. It's not impacting our marriages the way we would like to see it sometimes. That who we are as a follower of Jesus and doing what he said is shaping the way that we're married so that, that, that it honors him and is done well. It's not making us more patient necessarily or kind or sacrificial or passionate. It's not helping us seek first the kingdom of God. 
to surrender our lives to Christ and to follow him. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so what we're talking about is spiritual formation. Right? And church is just not something you do once a week. And church, you know, following Jesus isn't just a, a notion in our heads. But it is all about the sp- spiritual formation. It's about who we are. It's about who we are in relationship with God. It's about who he is making us to be. The God who made us has a purpose in shaping us as his people. So we have to move, and the church starts asking the question, how do we move from just a transfer of information? I could stand up here and tell you a lot about the Bible and tell you a lot about things, but how do we move from simply transferring information into your heads to actual spiritual formation or the the transformation of who we are into a people who know and love Jesus, changed into something, you know, not just getting people to do things, Getting people changed into something. And that something is the image of Christ. Who he was. The goal of the Christian life, if we don't know that already, the goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. To see our lives changed and shaped in that way. The scripture says it in so many ways, in so many places. Romans 8.29, it says, that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Right? Those he foreknew and predestined, he's saying that, that before the foundations of the world, from the beginning of time, God's purpose was, he says, that, that, that we should be conformed to the image of his son, to the image of Jesus. Right? He says it in Romans, as, you know, as he states this as God's purpose from, from the beginning of time, and he says it's God's purpose in time. In Romans 12, verse 2, he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, Right? Be conformed to the image of his son. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? And so all of it happens, and this is what it points to, is it's inside out. Right? It's inside out. The transformation, the change he's looking at isn't rearranging the furniture, trying to do a couple of other nice things or add something in, but it's an inside out. It starts with changing the stuff that's going on in our head. Our attitudes and our, you know, what we, our affections and our thoughts and who we are on the inside. So it's an inside out, the shaping of the soul, the shaping of the person to be a different person from the inside out. And the goal is, he says, from before time, is to be like his son Jesus. Galatians 4.19, Paul writes to another church in Galatia and he writes and he says, my little children, church that I've poured so much of my life into, he says, I write... Uh, to you because I am in anguish again. The anguish of a childbirth. Until what? You know, obviously childbirth here is a metaphor. You know, that, that I'm, I'm trying to bring to birth something in the hearts and lives of God's people. And what is it? That Christ would be formed in you. Right? And so the goal here again is that we would be like the Son. That we'd be like Jesus. The inner transformation of The soul conformity to the image of the Son is the goal of the Christian life. It's a deep work. And so it's the hardest work. It's the easier, easier work to rearrange the furniture of our lives and and change things around. It's a different thing to change my attitudes, to change my thoughts and the way I think of people, to change my, you know, to see myself changed where I would have the, the heart of a servant, the heart of a giver, the heart of graciousness. Right to love, to give, so that my inner desires and affections and decisions would be more and more like Christ. 
Sometimes as churches and individuals, we lose sight that this is the goal, that this is what it's all about. Sometimes we get so busy, we're so busy doing the stuff that we lose sight of the soul. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but loses his own soul? And often we don't look to home. We don't look and pay attention, you know, to the moment by moment, day by day of who we are when no one is looking, who we are in our core self, who we are before God. And so we end up more conformed to the world in its ways, where Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by this inner renewing of your mind. But, but often we end up more, more conformed to the world in its ways, and we are really conformed to the image of his Son, because our attention is directed in the wrong places. And so as we turn to this text, we're, we're looking, and I, you know, I start with all this to say, this is what Paul is praying for. As Paul is, is writing to this church and telling them ways that he's grateful to God for them, and, and, as he's, and as he's writing his own desires for them, he doesn't just write to them and say, I wish you'd be more like this or this or this. He doesn't just write and say all this stuff. Right? He actually prays for them. He says, since the day I heard about you guys, I haven't stopped praying. Praying what? That this inner work of God, this inner work of soul formation would be taking place in you because it's exactly what he's praying for in this text. It's what's described in this prayer. Because who is like this person that he's praying that, that they would be, that we would be, when he prays for the church, he's praying for you and I. And who is like this person other than Jesus Christ? Right? You, you read it and you say, I haven't stopped praying. Well, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk in a manner that is worthy of God, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in your knowledge of him, being strengthened with power according to his might, enduring with patience and joy. He's describing... Jesus, the perfect man, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Just think about that in terms of if you were like a glass or something like that, and, and you were to be filled with something, filled with iced tea, you know, to the, to the Tim, you know, you get the image, and he says, but you, like a glass, are to be filled, you know, to the brim with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of God's will. We should be full. Our heads and our hearts should be full of what God wants. The knowledge of what he wants. Right? That's why a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a disciple, right, is someone who learns what Jesus has to teach. So that your head and your heart would be full of the knowledge of his will. What he wants from us. What he wants us to do. Who he wants us to be. Who he has made us to be. full of not what we want, which is where we live most of our days, but full of what God wants. So how can our head and our hearts be full of his knowledge if we're not learning what he taught? But he doesn't just say it's to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but he goes on, verse 9 there, and he goes on to say that to be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not that you would just learn the facts of it, because you could sit and learn it, and maybe even quote it back to me. You could, you know, we could learn the knowledge of his will, and I could quote to you the Ten Commandments, or I could quote to you, you know, the other things that he taught us to do. You know, and that's easy. But, but to have the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding is to have that knowledge in a very practical 
way, an understanding way, where I get it. I get it. I understand what he wants from me. And it registers in a, in a more profound way, a deeper way. It's not a superficial churchy answer to things, you know, where we sometimes a Sunday school answer. No, spiritual wisdom, when he uses spiritual here, Paul always uses the word spiritual. He means of the Spirit of God. That God by his Spirit is at work in his people. And so when he talks about having a spiritual wisdom, he means it's not a wisdom that you produce and that you come up with, but it's a wisdom that, that is shaped and produced by the Spirit. That God, in other words, God himself, by his Spirit, gives us insight and understanding to his word and to his ways and what he wants. That we would be full with a clear understanding of what God really wants. That would be a beautiful thing if our minds and our hearts were full that way every day. Just imagine if you just lived out of that, just that little piece, that you, that you went moment by moment through your day, whether it was at work or with family or with wherever you are, shopping and, and bumping into people. And, and at those moments, we're not full of ourselves not full of what we want, not just full of our own ways, but aware of the God who made us and, and filled with the knowledge of his will, with a deep and practical, clear understanding of what it means to live it out with the person who's checking me out or serving me in the restaurant or living in my house or wherever it is, that, that, that this would be. In verse 10, he tells us why. He wants us to be filled with this knowledge, with this kind of wisdom and understanding. He says in verse 10, so that, so as you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. It has everything to do with the way we live our lives. That it would change. And see, this is the inside-out change. And often we try to change from the outside in. And we think, oh, I've got to be better. And so I just try to, try to do some things different. Tomorrow I'm going to do it different. And we just think that somehow tomorrow we're going to do it different, but usually we don't. We end up in the same places because true change starts on the inside out. True change comes out. We want to live a life worthy of the Lord. We don't start out by trying to live a life worthy of the Lord and just try to do good things. It starts with the inward, learning from him and being filled with the knowledge of his will with a clear and deep understanding of what he wants. Right? It starts from the inside and it works its way outside in a life that is worthy of the Lord. The God who saves us, the God who made us, the God to whom we belong. First Peter 1.15, Peter writing to the churches too, he writes and he says, As the one who called you is holy, so be holy in all of your conduct. This is you know, another way of saying be like Christ, who was holy. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that means. But it's that the one who calls you is holy, and so the goal is to be like the the God who made us, to be the people he made us to be and he intends for us to be. And so the goal of life is, is, to, is, is to know his will in such a way and to walk with him in such a way that our lives would begin to be shaped to live worthy before the Lord. This is the life that Jesus lived, and we think about it. How many of us lived a life worthy of God? And I know that I have not. You know, I don't stand here as one to tell you, I've lived worthy, now you've got to live worthy. I stand here to tell you, Jesus lived worthy. And then he calls us to follow him. He calls us to be his disciples and learn from him and imitate him and walk with him and know him and love him. And he is the one who walks worthy, the only one who's ever fully walked worthy. But can you imagine if this life became yours? 
where you knew in your heart of hearts and the knowledge and the full spiritual wisdom and understanding of the knowledge of His will that you were walking worthy. Fully pleasing, he goes on to say. Verse 10, fully pleasing to Him. Which is what it means to walk worthy. Is a life pleasing to God? Can you imagine it? God looks at your life and says, smiles, I'm pleased with who you are. Inside and out. Oh, to be that person is the goal of the Christian life. He goes on saying, bearing fruit in every good work. Right? And this is what walking worthy and pleasing Him is, that it looks like something that is manifesting itself in your life in every good work. That means in every relationship, right? In every endeavor, in everything that you're, you're having to deal with, every situation and circumstance, we're doing the right thing. We're bearing good fruit in every endeavor. We're learning to make good choices. We're learning to do the right thing. We're learning to treat people the right way. We're learning to respond to those situations, to those people, to those injustices, to meanness and to unkindness, to all the things that you will encounter in the world, learning to bear fruit in every good work, in every circumstance, that we would be shaped more by who we are in response to those things rather than those things you know, too, usually we respond in kind. If you're mean to me, I'm mean to you, right? You're going to talk to me like that, I'll talk to you like this, right? We tend to, you know, respond like this. And this is talking about a life that doesn't do that, to be bearing fruit in every good work means in all those circumstances, not being conformed to the world in the way that it responds, but being conformed to the image of his son and the way Jesus responds. You can look at the life of Jesus. How do we learn from him and the way he dealt with injustice, and mean people, and cruel people, and betrayal, and all the things that Jesus had to deal with, even to, the, even to death on a cross and being murdered, right? And then there, but there is a character in Christ, an inner well of life and strength that was who he was, no matter what his circumstances, Jesus was Jesus. And he wants that for us. This is the goal, is that whatever our circumstances, we would be followers of Christ, that we would be like him. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God, the next thing that he says. And again, when Paul prays this, in all of it, Paul is so eminently practical in everything that he's after here, right? When Paul prays that we'd be growing in the knowledge of God, again, it isn't just 20 years of Sunday school information crammed into your head that you would know more stuff. Now, I'm not saying you should know more stuff. It's really helpful. But, but that's not the point, right? The point in knowing stuff about people is relationship, right? The more I know about you, the more you know about me, and we, that we call that relationship, right? And so this growing in the knowledge of God, this living a life that's pleasing to him, that he's pleased with, with you, you're pleased with him, you're, you're walking and wanting to, and that we grow in a relational knowledge. The whole point of all of this is a relationship with the God who made you. As we walk before him, trying to be the people he's created us to be and who he longs for us to be. And so we're increasing in a relationship with him. Just as Jesus taught us to pray and the disciples, how should we pray? He says, pray like this, our Father. Right? And when you can pray, Father, like you are growing in your knowledge of God. You've grown to know him relationally. You're relating to him as your Father and not just as a distant deity. 
And then it's interesting as Paul goes on. I, I love this section as he moves into talking about power. Paul prays for power all the time. If you were here over the summer as we prayed through some of the prayers of Paul, he's always asking God for strength, right? Strength to do stuff. And one of the reasons Paul does this is because you and I, as often or not, we don't need more information to know more about what we should do and what we should be and how we should behave and how we should treat people, how we should be and how we should. We don't need, for most of us, it's not a matter of information of knowing what we should do. It's having the strength to do it. It's having the, the power to be like Jesus. Right? And so Paul is always asking God for power, for strength. God, would you strengthen us and help us to do this, to be this? And he does it here, and it's interesting how he, how he, where he goes with it, because he uses, Paul does this, he stacks words, he uses three words for power, right? He says that you would be strengthened, that we would be made strong, with all power, word for power, according to his, God's, glorious might. Right? So I love this, this rising, you know, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That the power of God, the grace of God would enable us, strengthen us to be that kind of person. To be his people. And so he mounts these words up, this, all this power according to his strength. And what does he pray for? If you don't look at it there, you might be thinking, what is he talking? We need all this power to what? To, to raise the dead? You know, to cast mountains into the sea. No, mightier works than that. He prays for all this power so that we would have what? Endurance, patience, with joy. You imagine that is a mighty work of God for you, for me. To be people who endure, we stand and we don't fall, right? We live right and we don't compromise, we don't give over. We endure suffering, we endure trials, we endure hardship, whatever it is that life throws, you know that life is full of it. He prays we'd be strengthened, that we would be made strong, not with a little power, but with all power, not with any power, but with all of his glorious power so that we would endure, and not just endure any kind of enduring, gritting your teeth and whatever kind of enduring, but enduring what with patience and joy. Those are amazing people. When you find them in life, they're not just enduring. Those people are hard to find. Patient people who in the midst of whatever it is they're enduring, whatever suffering, whatever circumstance, whatever injustice, whatever it is, they're people of patient joy. That should be like Jesus, is it not? Right? And that is, that is, what, he, that is what he prays for. He prays this into the life of God's people because it's God's purpose and goal since he created the world to be conformed to the image of his son and he prays it down into the life of God's people because we've seen it in Jesus and he's taught it to us as we read the scripture, the ability here to endure with patience. We saw it in the life of Christ who endured so much, who was betrayed, who suffered. Are you tired? Are you weary? 
Are you enduring? What are you looking at? You know, are you suffering? Are you struggling? The God who makes us strong, that we stand and not fall, to keep on and not quit, to endure, and to give us, regardless of circumstances, an inner place of peace. Patience. I've got something to give you. In the midst of it all, whatever it is that I'm suffering, I have something to give you, which is patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, joy, the fruits of the Spirit as we know them. Paul prays for the church, but he's praying that our hearts would be transformed, that we would bear this image. And we look and we see that Jesus is the only one who lived this life. That Jesus is the only one who can make us this kind of a person. The first thing we need to do is to admit that our lives need to be changed. Right? That when I read this passage and Paul's praying it for this church and I read it, that I'm living a life that is full of the knowledge of his will, living lives pleasing to him, uh, you know, a life worthy of him, a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. And as I read this, I know it's not me, not entirely. I mean, again, we're all on this journey, we're on this thing, but the first thing to do is to recognize that, that Jesus is this person and I'm not, but I want to be this person. And so the second thing is just that. Do you want to be this person? First thing you do is to read it and recognize I'm not that person, and the second thing is that, that yeah, this is the person I want to be. Why? Well, apart from the beauty of that kind of a character in and of itself, most of us like people like that. We tend to not like people who are impatient and unkind and not full of joy, but other kinds of attitudes towards you. We tend, you know, that, that's not what we tend to enjoy. There's a beauty to this character. We know that in and of itself, but more than that, it's who God made us to be. To be conformed to the image of his son. And so when we want to be this person from the inside out, a person pleasing to God, look at verse 15 if you move down in the text. It tells us in verse 15 that he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. All right, and you start drawing the, connecting the dots, right? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are to be conformed to the image of his Son. And if we're conformed to the image of the Son, then whose image are we conformed to? The image of the invisible God. Because Jesus is the image of... Do you know that... You do know that the Scripture tells us that in the beginning, he created all of us in his own image. That we are a people created in the image of God. And the problem is that through sin and our selfishness and our self-centeredness, we have messed that image up. We have marred it and broken it. Jesus has come as the image of the invisible God to live that life. He, he, he lives the life you and I failed to live. He, he is the person that God meant you and I to be. Jesus came to be the perfect human being, to show us the life and so much more. But we first have to see that Jesus as the image has come to be who we fail to be. To live the life that you and I failed to, to live. Broken image in us results in a broken relationship with God. That we don't have the relationship with him that we were meant to have. And Jesus has come as the image to restore to us 
to be the people God meant us to be, to reconcile us to God so that we could grow in the knowledge of Him, to know Him more and more as Father, to restore what was lost, to fix what was broken. And so Jesus says He is everything in this passage that it describes, living the life that we were meant to live. He does more than that. Jesus takes His perfect life, His perfect humanity, his, Himself as the image of the invisible God. He takes His perfection, and it says in the Scripture that He dies on the cross to pay the penalty for the fact that you and I don't live that life. To pay the penalty for the fact that we're broken and we don't live to please Him. And we don't bear fruit in every good work. That the image is broken. And so Jesus comes to, to be everything that we weren't and to pay the penalty, to pay the debt for us, for everything that we're not. The Bible says that he bore in his own body on the cross our sin and failure so that we might find forgiveness, so that we might find restoration in a relationship with God. He's able to save us from the crushing consequences of who we're supposed to be. John 20, verse 31, it says this, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, and that by believing in Him and in what He has done for us, that we might have life. This life, a new life, a life being renewed in the image of our Creator, in the image of Christ. Jesus lived and died so that the life that Paul is praying for could be ours, so that we could know Him. Paul writes in Philippians 3, this is where I appreciate Paul, even as he prays for this life, even as he exhibits a lot of this life, Paul, again, in his own humility, says, I know that I've not already obtained all this. I know that I'm not perfect. Any Christian who takes the, the, the holier-than-thou, you know, who rides at the self-righteous stance about those who haven't quite, you know, a Christian is someone who knows. And so I say, the first thing we got to do is admit this isn't us. And the only way we will ever be what God has meant us to be is through the gift that is given to us in his son. And so Paul says, I've not already obtained all this. I'm not already made perfect, but this is what I do. I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I've become his follower. He's owned me and I've owned him. And as I've become his follower, one thing I do is I press on to follow him, you know, to make it my own. I press on toward the goal of the prize, which is the upward call of God that is ours in Christ. This upward call. To be more like Jesus. To be more the people God made us to be. Let me give you just three or four quick things then as we are praying for interchange and we apply this in our lives. And the first thing is this. that If, if you have not, you know, have you, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Acknowledge that he is the son of God. That he is who he said that he was. And that he did what he said that he did. That he lived the life that we failed to live. And, he, and that he died the death that we deserve to die. And that through faith in him, we can have, as he promised, life. Jesus offers us life. Both now and forever. And so Jesus calls us to faith. Have we put our faith and trust? And it's a decision that one must make. A, a choice that's definitive at some point to say... I will follow you. That what you did, you did for me. 
I accept it. I believe it. I embrace it. And so I want to follow you. A definitive moment in time where we make that choice. But the second thing is this, if you haven't already, is to aim your life at this goal. And so I said that often in the church we become so sidetracked by all the stuff that we're doing. The outward stuff that we lose track of the inward goal. The soul, the shaping, the spiritual formation of who we are, the upward call. And we need to make this direction our own lives. So often we're like a sinkhole where, you know, the ground over it is covered up and underneath there's nothing under there. And it looks solid. You can drive cars over it for a certain amount of time. It looks good until at some point in time the sinkhole collapses and you find out there was nothing underneath there. Whatever was there had drained away. Right? And that's what happens to us often in the church. That sometimes there was, there was something in there, but we get so busy doing stuff on the surface and, you know, and, and, and whatever it is, that at some point we lose track of what's in, underneath there, holding it all up. You know, the, the, the inner life of spiritual formation, of knowing, loving, and walking with Jesus. What direction is your life pointed in? Where are you headed? Right, in the upward call of God in Christ. Where are you? What, what direction is it headed? If you wanted to go to New Jersey, I got family from Jersey here to see the to see the eclipse tomorrow. But if you wanted to go to Jersey, right, one thing that you would have to do is point yourself in that direction. It's not going to be a quick trip. They'll tell you, not going to be a quick trip. Um, it's going to be a little tedious on the way. It's going to be a long trip. But if you wanted to go to New Jersey, you're going to have to point your car in that direction. And if you aim that way and you start driving in that direction, little by little, you will get closer and closer to New Jersey because you've, you've aimed your car there. You've directed yourself there, right? And so that's what this is, this is about this morning is in what direction are you aiming your life, right? To the upward call of God in Christ, to be who he created us to be, or is it aimed somewhere else, or is it not being aimed? And you know not being aimed is being aimed. Because if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And so it is, you know, to not choose is a choice. And so we have to very deliberately aim ourselves and point our lives. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Sometimes, even in the church, we can lose track of this inner work of what God is doing. Have you chosen this direction? Is this what you want? Have you made it your goal? The main business of your life, to be who the God who created you made you to be. Is that your goal? It should be every morning when you wake up, oh, by the grace of God, to pray this prayer, right, which is the fourth thing. The third thing I would say is this, get in a car with others who are heading in the same direction. Right? Is to get, if, you want to, if you wanted to get to New Jersey, it would be really helpful if you got in a car with somebody going to New Jersey. Right? And so this is the church, is to get in a car with people who are aimed at the upward call. Because we're heading in the same direction, and we can help each other get there. Right? As we sit under the teaching of God's word, to learn what Jesus taught, and to seek with our lives to do it, and to be it, to follow him. And so finally is to be praying like Paul's, to be praying prayers like this. How do you pray? Sometimes our prayers are, I don't know, they're all over the map because that's where we are. And sometimes what we need is some focus, right? And the scripture gives us focus, giving you an upward call, 
Right? He's giving you direction. From before, as he said, the foundations of the world to be conformed to the image of his son. He's giving you a, a laser focus to know Jesus, to learn from him, to understand what he taught, and to shape our lives in that image as we follow him and grow in our knowledge of him and our relationship with him. Prayer. Prayer is a confession that we can't do it ourselves. Right? When Paul prays this, he's saying, you're not going to pull this off. I don't pull it off. One thing I, you know, I haven't done is I'm not already made perfect. I know this is, prayer is a confession that you can't do it and that you need his power. That's why Paul prays that he would make us strong, that you would come near and help to, to capture us in this way and enable us to do this. Prayer is talking to God, right? I'm talking to you, but when I stop talking to you and I start talking to God, we call it prayer. And all it is in, in that sense is, is directing our hearts. It is prayer is directing our hearts upward and forward in this direction and to ask and begin to ask for the right thing. Sometimes the scripture says you don't have because you don't ask or you don't have because you ask for the wrong things. And if this is what you want, maybe we should start asking for it. You know, day by day that, that today I would live a life that is more pleasing to you than yesterday. That today I would bear more fruit in good works in these situations and circumstances than I did yesterday. That by your grace, day by day, I would become more the person. Oh God, would you give me the power of your strength and your glorious might that I might be a patient and joyful person in the face of whatever comes into my life. Prayer takes you inward and upward. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do ask... All that Paul prays here, we long to be this person. Why? Because we know that it pleases you. Because we know it is your purpose and you've created us in your own image that we might be like this. But we fail day by day. Father, you know it. Have mercy on us. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who, who lived the life that we failed to live and died the death that we can't afford to die. And I pray that by faith in him, that you would hear our prayers, that you would come near, that you would help us to be your people, to bear this fruit, and to honor and to please you in the way that we do life. For we ask and pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.